Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Hey folks, Eric and Josh here. And boy, do we have something absolutely special for you today. Josh, what do we have? We had the honor of finally, and I say finally because we've known our guest for several months now. It is James Orsini, president of the Sasha Group, a VaynerX company. We officially sat down with him, to no surprise, within the context of a PodMax event. And what's extraordinary is we had we met him several months prior through a PodMax event. And Eric, you know what's amazing is at the time with certain relationships and people you meet and come across, you sometimes have no idea where the relationship is going, how it's going to evolve, and what the impact is going to be on us. We know the story to date. James has played a pivotal role in our in our lives, in our business, in our event, coming back in different forms over and over to just support. Yeah, it's just an honor truly to have James Orsini as someone we call a friend, we call a mentor, and someone that inspires us each and every day. So folks, you're gonna enjoy this episode of James Orsini, the president of the Sasha Group, working alongside Gary V, who we are always inspired by each and every day, and he's going to inspire us. Now we get to know a little bit more about James. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Welcome back to the show. I am your most humbled host and now co-host because I have another host here by the names of Mr. Josh Carey. How are you? That is my name. I'm, I'm just as well. Uh, and we're sitting here with somebody we've now known for months with an S at the end who uh, just keeps reappearing the more we uh, dissect it back. And I know it all comes back to relationships and connections. And we've spoken about this uh, even today about the importance of, forget about your personal world, but in business uh, and certainly the bigger picture of life, just who you know and how you grow and nurture those relationships. It's James Orson. Sini. How you doing, James? 
It's great to uh, great to be here and uh, make sure your audience realizes that you could certainly get more people than me to uh, to interview. I'm happy to be back, but uh, you're so modest. Uh, I love the humbleness, right? <laughs> I have to say, James, when you first came through as our keynote speaker uh, at a previous PodMax event, um, I had no idea that a relationship would form and that, you know, it would continue to grow on many different levels. And now you're introducing us to Kathy and Matt and all these wonderful, amazing people that's just continuous and just wanted to thank you, you know, on, on, pub- on the air and in public uh, for all you do not just for us, but, you know, for, for business owners and, and, and the community as a whole. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I have the best interests of uh, the small entrepreneur in mind uh, when, you know, making decisions like that. And, uh, uh, you know, the folks uh, that, I, that I introduced you to, Matt, Matt Higgins and Kathy and a few others, uh, my hope is that your audience found real value with the, with the content that they shared on that day. Love it. What is the uh, interest in the entrepreneur? Where does that come from? Has that been something you've been uh, attracted to your whole life? You know, it was funny because uh, uh, people asked me, you know, do you, did you, were you an entrepreneur? And I said, ah, look, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, whether, uh, whether I was a kid, uh, um, you know, uh, selling uh, tickets to see a puppet show that I would do for anti-drug campaigns, charge a quarter to watch me wear two socks and talk in a box, uh, to um, when I was 12 or 13, putting together a small band. I did not play an intru- instrument. I stood up on stage, fake uh, strumming a guitar while others with talent played. I charged people to do that. So I was more, more like the manager then. And then I uh, got into high school, had some really good... Uh, good gr- grades, and uh, my parents didn't really want me to work in retail like my friends were doing, going down to Macy's uh, at the mall. And uh, they're like, "What do you What do you like?" And I said, "Well, I like cars." And my father was like, "Great, we're going to build garages in the backyard. We're going to hook them up with heat and hot water, and you're going to clean cars." So uh, that's what I did, uh, and the business grew, and I provided a pickup and delivery service. And by the time I was in college, I had three kids working for me. Um, uh, and um, I attribute my getting my first job at KPMG to that entrepreneurial spirit, because back then I was wearing a beeper, if you recall what yeah. beepers were back <laughs> then. And during the interview with KPMG, uh, the beeper went off. And I'll never forget the guy. His name was Larry Jansen. And I said, listen, I, I got to go. I said, I got this doctor's car outside. I got to I gotta return it. Uh, and it, it was a Ferrari 308 GTB. And um, he said, kid, he goes, with that entrepreneurial spirit, you got a job. Go bring the car back. And that was it. So, uh, so that was always, you know, my earlier passion. My dad owned his own business. My brother owned his own business. My sister owned his own business. I never had a desire to own my own business. Uh, and then I met Gary, who's, you know, all about the entrepreneur. Um, so, uh, so now working for him, I got to sort of resurrect some early passions. And um, people ask me, are you an entrepreneur? I said, no, I'm an entrepreneur enabler. I do just have to ask about what stage did you meet Gary? Which Gary was he? Because we all know Gary today, but you met Gary prior to the Gary quote unquote today, right? Yeah. So, um, so I never knew Gary. I knew Gary's brother, AJ. Mm -hmm. Um, I sat next to him at a Seton Hall University basketball game, uh, probably a little over 10 years ago. Um, I was 
at Saatchi at the time. And we just were talking and he said, yeah, me and my brother and a couple guys started this social media advertising company. And I said, you want to come down to Saatchi and see what it's like when you get big? And he took me up on it. Uh, years later, when I was the CEO of a, of a small publicly traded mobile media company, um, the guys that I worked with developed some stuff that they thought was right for Facebook. They asked, who could we show it to? And I said, I know this kid. And I went in to see him. And at that time, there was like 200 people in the Park Avenue office. I'm like, wow, this kid's got a company. So when I left that job, I just called AJ to tell him that I was going to be taking another big New York City advertising job. I had two offers. And he said, James, you ever meet my brother, Gary? And I said, no, not really. Or I said, no. And he said, did you ever hear of my brother, Gary? And I said, not really. He said, well, why don't you do a quick Google search? He's not going to be hard to find. Um, so I did, and he wasn't. And uh, he said, uh, you should come in and meet him. And I spent 15 minutes with him, because uh, that's what you get with Gary, 15 minutes. And uh, then I left, and, and AJ called me. And he said, good news. He likes you. He wants to have dinner with you. So um, we had a dinner, and he was like, listen, I want to build a $500 million independent, integrated international communications company. Um, can you help me do that? And I said, yeah, I think I can. So he said, all right, don't take one of those other jobs. Do this with me. So at the time, uh, he was a little under 400 employees and a little under $42 million in revenue. And uh, I think they ended last year a uh, um, little north of $160 million in revenue and about 900 employees uh, with offices in London and Singapore as well now. Can you paint a picture, James? What, what was the first order of business when you stepped in as the COO of, of, of Vayner? Well, uh, I started as the chief integration officer. Mm. Uh, with a title that he said, I'm going to give you a title that's amorphous enough to have you play wherever I need you and have nobody feel threatened by you. Mm -hmm. So, brilliant. Um, his brother was the chief operating officer. Now, unbeknownst to me, uh, in, a, in a very uh, public announcement, his brother had Crohn's disease and, and stepped down after 15 months of my being in the position. And, you know, they had looked at me as a succession plan. I didn't realize that until it unfolded. So then I became a chief operating officer 15 months in. But uh, to answer your original question, what I do early on, uh, Gary said, listen, I just want you to breathe. I don't want you to make, I don't want you to say anything for six weeks. I want you to breathe my company. I don't need you coming in here and tell me all the shit I'm doing wrong but I want you to just observe everything and then add value. Uh, so I did just that. I sat in on client meetings. I sat in on HR meetings. I sat in on facilities meetings, you know, to really get a feel for it. I watched him in new business pitches. Uh, I sat in on private meetings with him and his brother, just hear, you know, what they were bouncing off each other. Um, so, you know, earlier on before we we turned this uh, recording on, we were talking about, you know, connecting the dots and taking the time to understand what it is that people do. And for me, that's the difference. And I, I just said this on another podcast that was uh, released uh, Tuesday of this week. Um, people are like, you're a great delegator. I said, no, I'm not a great delegator. I'm a great facilitator because there's a difference. I said, delegation is having somebody do what it is that you, you should do or can do facilitation is taking the time to understand what people do well and then connecting them with other people who have that need. So that's kind of what I do, facilitation. Yeah. 
So, so six weeks, you, you, you breathed the culture of Vayner. Um, so, so what was it, the, like the, the, the top two or three things that you said, that this is priority, we have to take care of these things? And... Well, uh, I'll never forget, he handed me a folder with one page in it, and he said, get this done, and it was the move to Hudson Yards. Mm. And I, I took a look at it, and I said, uh, this is going to bankrupt your company. Can't do this. And he said, what? What do you mean? I said, it's, you can't do this. And he said, okay, tell me what needs to happen in order for it to get done. Uh, and that was price per square foot, uh, security deposits, and all that other stuff. And he went back and then got that ask. And we were one of the first tenants in Hudson Yards and still are there today. So wow. that was one. Another was... Um, sitting in on a meeting for a client when they were going to do their first television commercial. They were a social media advertising agency. And I said, uh, you're going to do a commercial. I said, hmm, uh, what creators are you going to use? And they said, well, we got a lot of creators here. I said, well, you know, there's a difference between the creators that do a social media post and ones that do a television commercial. Uh, I said, um, you know, this is a, they're a SAG signature client so screen actors go, who's gonna who's gonna review the sag contract i said well we you know we got an attorney here and uh, i said I, you know did you ever hear of like uh, uh talent partners or extreme reach you know companies that that do that so you know that was kind of the stuff and of course that when we crashed and burned and blew it up not that they're ever afraid to crash and burn or make a mistake or anything in fact gary gary learns a lot from mistakes um but those were a couple things that, uh, that I had. And probably the third was um, the studio. Um, they were uh, uh, shooting photos in windowsills on Park Avenue with, uh, kid you not, um, hot, hot grill burners in the hallway, like frying up cheese and taking pictures of it for clients. And uh, I asked if, we could, if I could take two conference rooms on the floor beneath us and I turned them into photo studios and you know from there we were very very successful and that led to what is now a 40,000 square foot studio facility in Long Island City Love so that was probably in the, within the first two or three months those were things I was working on why, why, why the need to move to Hudson Yards what was what was the passion behind that I think few people realize that um, one they were really looking for for Hudson Yards to become the Silicon Valley of the East, uh, and and who better than Gary to make that credible? Two, um, part of the ownership of VaynerX is through a company called RSC Ventures. You know that because you had Matt Higgins on your show, and RSC Ventures uh, is uh, owned predominantly by Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross owns a company called Related. Related is who built Hudson Yards. Mm, so right. very incestuous uh, relationship there. Makes so we're sense. going back to the idea of the importance of connections and it all ties mm. together and then just sort of like continues to to build on itself. There's absolutely. Moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, Gary uh, did a video early on welcoming people to Hudson Yards, standing there in a hard hat and, you know, scaffolding and stuff like that. So, you know, and we were one of the first tenants in the first building. Whether it's through your work with Gary or through specifically what you do with the Sasha group and the clients there, 
and everything you guys stand for. How important is positioning in in the uh, circle that you play in? Uh, well, positioning is very important because um, uh, the most value comes when everybody feels like they're a winner at the table. It's not when one walks away the loser and one walks away the winner. Um, uh, we find value when everybody walks out of the room and feels like they've won. So uh, very important in negotiation, very important in client agency relationships, very important in boss subsidiary, uh, bo uh, you know, boss uh, and, uh, and um, uh, staff relationships, you know. Uh, so, um, so positioning is very important. Including positioning of the business and the brand in order to attract and then therefore win the client. Absolutely. So, you know, that was important for us in establishing VaynerX as a holding company. Uh, you know, you asked, what you do in the first six weeks? The first meeting, the first meeting that I arranged while there with somebody from the outside was a partner from PricewaterhouseCoopers to talk to Gary and AJ about a holding company structure. That was six years ago. The holding company wasn't birthed until, oh, wow. you know, three or four years ago. So two years prior to it being birthed, I wanted them to understand that in order for you to be a $500 million integrated, independent, international communications company, you're going to have to be more than a social media advertising company. And we're going to need a structure like this, which originally didn't go well with them. They thought it was, you know, I think the quote was, it's a stodgy old model, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, because they're you know, the Omnicoms and WPPs and Interpublics of this world use it. Uh, but it is the model to use when you're growing an empire like Gary is. So VaynerX became the holding company. Uh, and now you have these pieces, Sasha. The Sasha group is one under this VaynerX umbrella. I like that you use the word empire. Can a company, a brand, get to that level without a figure like Gary playing that part? Does every wannabe empire, in order to grow to that level, need somebody to step out and be that persona? Well, I always say uh, anything with more than one head is a freak of nature. Right. If you think about it, the two headed dragons and what have you. So, um, so yeah, I believe there needs to be a clear head at the top of it. Does it need to be a celebrity like Gary? Uh, no, um, doesn't need to be that at all. Uh, it just needs to be somebody with the vision uh, to take it forward. Was the Bible say without the vision, without a vision, the people perish? Right. So, mm -hmm. same thing holds for a company. Definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> when your founder uh, has the characteristics of a celebrity. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we talked about in the last uh, thing, one one uh, text to his community brought 308,000 visitors to our website in three minutes, right? So it certainly doesn't hurt if done right, right? So that celebrity status of an of an Oprah Winfrey in which he does to own and, and um, Martha Stewart in which he does to her media empire, uh, 
you know, is uh, is a step in the, in the right direction. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are all authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about PodMax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next PodMax event. James, I want to I want to take the uh, hot tub time machine a little bit back here and um, talk a little bit about your family dynamic growing up and you know what was it like at the dinner table in the Orsini household? Yeah, so uh, I come from a great, uh, tight, loving family, um, but I was the youngest in the family by far. So. Uh, I don't want to say I was a mistake, uh, but I certainly was not planned. Um, I had a sister 16, I had a sister 14, and I had a brother 10 when I was born. So what's it like growing up with three mothers is basically the question you should be asking because that's pretty much what I had. Um, So as a result, I was always much more mature than any of my friends because I was always around all these adults every time, uh, you know, talking. So... Um, I dressed a little differently. I carried myself a little differently. You know, um, I was going to have a backpack. I was going to have a briefcase. Uh, so, um, I was, uh, first, uh, the first generation to complete college. And, uh, I did not take over what was my grandfather's business first and then my father's business next. And now my brother's business. Uh, you know, I it, I worked one summer with my father who was a plumber and uh, he was like, okay, great. You're going to go to school and you're going to take over the business is what he said to my brother. Mm-hmm. So it was clear that uh, that I didn't have the skills uh, in that area. Um, but, uh, you know, still tight with them today. You know, talk to my, uh, my sister daily, uh, talk to my brother at least weekly and talk to my sister who's a little further away down at the Jersey Shore probably every two weeks. What were you aspiring to be growing up? What did you see your future looking like? I thought I was going to be an Ivy League attorney. Um, I had uh, uh, I was put on the wait list for Princeton. I was going to go to Princeton, I thought, and become an attorney. I then got accepted to Lehigh. Really thought I was going there. My daughter's there today as a sophomore, ironically, uh, and I couldn't live in the dorms. I couldn't. It just wasn't who I was. You know, I had great study habits at home and I called my father up and I was like, I think I want to come home. And he's like, great. He said, come to Seton Hall University. You already have a scholarship to go there and I'll buy you a new Trans Am. Uh, So that was it, man. I had the T-tops off, drove up the front (laughs) gate and uh, I was forever a Seton Hall guy, uh, majored in accounting, Um, uh, did an internship in junior year, was made an offer uh, before my senior year. So, you know, that's a pretty relaxing feeling knowing you got a job after you graduate when you're just starting your senior year. Um, and uh, it took off from there. And then uh, 15 years in the accounting arena, 
right? So KPMG. Then I was an analyst uh, for the investment banking uh, department at Goldman Sachs for a couple of years. Uh, and then uh, got my foot into the marketing world, you know, um, uh, a finance director, controller, CFO. So that whole thing is 15 years and then realized, I don't think I want to be an accountant anymore. And I always kind of felt that I was a much better businessman than I ever was accountant. And that's when I made the pivot to operations. Uh, And it has certainly been my sweet spot. I certainly haven't forgotten all that I've learned. I am a New York State CPA. I've been an auditor, obviously. Uh, But, and that has made me a better operations and businessman. What was that segue like? Was there any, uh, to, to have that realization like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be an accountant anymore. Was it, was it tough? Well, I knew in my heart because at the time I was at Interbrand, great branding company. <clears throat> in fact, uh, one of the best in the world. And um, uh, I was global CFO and um, overseeing 31 offices in 26 countries and uh, went to the uh, global, well, here's what happened. The global CEO put in a global chief operating officer in London, and I was the CFO in New York. And he said, James, good news. We got this guy who's going to be in London now, so uh, he's going to focus on the operations and stuff like that, and you could just focus back uh, on, on all the finance. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to resign. And they were like, well, don't, you know, don't leave. Let's Let's create a position for you. So they created, a, they had a, a guy who I'm still very friendly with. We use him at the Sasha Group. Uh, they had a guy in um, uh, uh, North America. He was the president of Interbrand North America. And they said, okay, we're going to port you over to that. You're, we're going to create this new position as chief operating officer for North America. And together, you guys are going to be the office of the CEO. And he'll work on the external client uh, stuff. And, and you'll work on the internal stuff. Uh, and we were hugely successful. Within 18 months, we grew the revenue by 20%, grew the profits by 60%, picked up four margin points. Hugely successful. I love that idea that when they told you what was going to be, you're like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. So certainly uh, there's a very understated confidence to you today. Was that always there? Uh, it, it's gotten stronger, but I've always been confident, um, not really cocky, but, but sure. confident. I mean, you know, I, I was successful early on. I mean, I, I was valedictorian in my grammar school. I graduated number three in my high school. I was summa cum laude from Seton Hall University. Okay. I mean, I was KPMG. I was Goldman Sachs. Think about Goldman Sachs as, as a non-Ivy League son of a plumber from Newark. Okay, understand that. Like that's when they were hiring like Wharton and Penn MBAs, yeah. right? So, uh, so yeah, I always I always had a little confidence, um, you know, and and it got stronger as I got better in business. Um, it was probably my strongest when I was leaving as a CEO for Cedo, Cedo Mobile, where uh, you know I had an employment contract and. Um, the board changed out. It was clear that, you know, the board that hired me and the new board that was in place were too different. Um, and I just wasn't worried. Like I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to land on my feet, you know? Um, so, uh, and then obviously I, I did with Gary and, uh, this has been, uh, it's, it's been a good ride for, uh, to, going on six years, it'll be six years in January. I don't want to. It's awesome. 
Uh, something tells me the confidence also comes from uh, the nickname Jimmy the Pencil. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about the origin behind that? Yes, yeah, so Jimmy the Pencil uh, is really uh, twofold. Uh, it was given to me by a guy uh, when I worked at Interbrand, but in my early days and why I was so willing to adapt it, I had a Clark Gable pencil-thin shaved-down mustache that I would literally have to care for to get it down to this line of a pencil from the time I was 17 to probably the time I was 21. Uh, that combined with the fact that really I was, you know, an accountant, right? I was and am an accountant. So, uh, and back then we used pencils and ledger paper. I mean, it was pre-computer. So, uh, so when Jimmy the pencil uh, was uh, stuck, uh, it was uh, funny. And and I'll tell you, um, I I get a lot of traction for for that handle uh, in uh, in Twitter. There's a there's a lot of people. I had one wacko from Chicago ask me. Are you the real Jimmy the Pencil? Apparently, there must have been some mob guy that was. Are you the real one? Yeah, I didn't even answer the guy. You know, it was going down a, 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 a dark path, and I didn't want to be a part of it. Let's talk about social media. So, whether it's Twitter specifically or not, um, how do you how do you use social for either personal or business? How does it work in your favor? So that's another uh, um, great example of um, you're never too old to learn. Right. So, so when Gary offered me the position, I didn't say yes, you know, initially, and I didn't say no, but I didn't say yes. And I I met uh, with some people that I worked with in the past and they were like, James, do you know who he is? You know, he's kind of like Steve Jobs, a Zuckerberg kind of guy, you know, and think about it, you know. You have public relations, general market advertising, branding mobile media, the only thing you're missing is social and digital. If you get that, you're kind of what everybody wants to be, like in the marketing space. So who better to learn from than the guru of social, right, when when you're getting there? And, uh, uh, you know, I just observed a lot of uh, what it was that Gary and, and people around Gary were doing. And, um, uh, you know, I kind of segment my persona, right? So my my LinkedIn is is business-related, uh, Twitter is usually uh, my passions. Uh, Instagram is is more uh, my family, if you will. Uh, you know, so um, I I, I kind of bifurcate how I use social. Uh, so it's it's you know more of a personal thing, I think, uh, more more than anything else. How how are you leveraging podcasts now? Well. Um, you know, I've probably done three dozen podcasts in the last uh, 15 months, uh, and I use them uh, to um, uh, get attention, to uh, drive engagement, and then ultimately uh, convert to sales for the Sasha Group. Yeah, so um, people listening might think, like, my goodness, you have it so easy. You're you're hooked up with Gary, so you have this momentum, and whatever you're doing with the Sasha group, it'll, you know, you might win every account. But this is probably far from the truth, right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, drinking from a fire hose is never really easy, right? <laughs> so uh, on the day that he announced uh, the Sasha group, we had 4,700 inquiries in 48 hours. Mm. So you got to go through that. Like, how do you, you know, when you're peeling back the onion and you realize, wow, there's, there's so much stuff here for businesses that are sub a million and I don't have a product for them. Well, then somebody gets to work on birthing a stork 
as an example, right? The membership came because I didn't have a product for companies that were a million dollars or less. Uh, so I knew I needed something and, and, you know, uh, it took us a year and we authored that product for them. Uh, you know, the, the pivoting in a, in a COVID environment, um, you know, we're, we're going to meet our financial objectives in 2020, despite the world virtually imploding for three to six months. Imagine. Uh, you know, somebody has to manage that. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, we're uh, 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 a healthy pipeline. But remember, I work for some of the best brands in the world. Our phones always rang. Mm-hmm. You know, my phone rang at, at Saatchi. My phone rang at Interbrand. My phone rang at Goldman Sachs. It rings at KPMG. I work for some of the best brands in the company, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the world. But, you know, initially, early on, Nobody had heard of VaynerMedia. He was incredible in the advertising space. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward to 2019 and he did three Super Bowl commercials. Now he, now people know him. But back then, you know, he was the social media guy. Well, you can't be $500 million being the social media guy. So, you know, we had to be more than that. Um, you know, and, and he worked hard to, to do that, right? Whether it was acquiring companies like PureWout and that became the Gallery Media Group or building a, a Vayner Production Studio in Long Island City or spinning off uh, um, uh, a tech company from his media department called Tracer, uh, starting a new company called the Sasha Group, uh, acquiring a company and, and birthing Vayner Commerce. You know, these are all... Um, um, offerings within he's got Vayner speakers now he's got Vayner talent these are all part of the Vayner X family how do you guys manage the the ideas you know because you know as a startup ourselves and 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 everything seems to always be on fire including our brains and hair um, how do you how do you identify like what you can execute on this is going to make us money so mm. you, have, you know the CFO, you know, in your DNA, how would you recommend people do that? I think that's what's kept me gainfully employed because there is no shortage of ideas. There's a shortage of execution, mm-hmm. right? So um, you need you need people who help you execute on those ideas and help you ferret them out. You know, we use uh, something called an Eisenhower matrix. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but yeah, you could look it up. Uh, and it's uh, sort of four quadrants and plots, uh, important and urgent, you know. Uh, and then we get to um, uh, uh, plot 12 or 15 different ideas and different quadrants of the Eisenhower matrix. Uh, and that helps guide us as to what we need to do. So, uh, when Sasha was going to move from from last year, a little under ten million to this year, between twelve and thirteen million, Gary was like, "How are you going to do that?" You know, um, well, there wasn't any client names per se that I could put to it, but but we put together the Eisenhower matrix, and I said, "This is the things that we're going to do. We're gonna we're gonna birth a, a a subscription or membership offering, and you have that now in Stork. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna uh, fix our e commerce." department and and he did by acquiring an e-commerce company that we could lean on uh you know where we're gonna uh, find uh, uh new mentors clients we're gonna increase our creative department you know all these different dots that were on the matrix at various stages of importance and urgent um and in fact one of the ones that were important but not urgent which we will birth in the fourth quarter of this year is the sasha podcast 
So there's a, you know, there's a leader in my group that's, uh, you know, putting the bank together now. She's already done uh, uh, four or six uh, uh, interviews uh, and we'll birth a podcast as well. How much do you think that mindset plays into anything that you do as a business? The the matrix mindset, the Eisenhower matrix mindset, or no, 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 mindset in general. How much does that like one's mindset to get it right? Does that play into success in what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when I left uh, Cedo Mobile as a CEO, I read a book called Consigliere: Ruling from the Shadows by a guy by the name of Richard Heitner. And it's about being a great number two. And when I read the book, I'm like, this is exactly who I am. I don't need to be a number one. I'm glad I was. You know, there's not many who can say that they've been the CEO of a publicly traded company. I know what I don't want to be when I grow up. Uh, but I know, I'm like, man, maybe I would have been super successful, number one, if I had a number two like me behind you. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that was it. So even when we birthed the Sasha group, Gary was like, all right, so you'll be the CEO. I said, no, nah, you know what? I'll be the president. You'll be the CEO. You should be the CEO of the Sasha Group. You should be the CEO of VaynerMedia. You know, um, but I'll, you know, I'm cool. I can make all this stuff happen, uh, you know, as the president. So that's what we did. So critical, right? Because there would be no Jordan without Scotty Pippen. And Scotty Pippen, in, and anyone who plays that type of role, has to understand that that is it. And, and, and the success on everything and everything in the team resides on you and, and, and your role and your the right butts in the right seat. So Yeah, yeah. And remember, Gary has many, many Scotty Pippins uh, aside and, and beside him uh, to help scale them on multiple fronts, right? So there's somebody who scales them on the human resource front or somebody who scales them on the media front or somebody who scales them on the operations front, somebody who scales them on the finance front. So, uh, um, you know, the bigger your empire, the more people you need to help scale you. Yeah, we, we touched on this a little bit, James, um, but I wanted to see if we can help the tribe and the people who are listening. During this time when Sasha Group specifically was pivoting, uh, what, what were some of the strategies you implemented? What are some of the ones that worked and, and maybe didn't work? Um, we started with uh, uh, me saying to Gary, let, let me tell you what Sasha will not be. Sasha's not going to be a mini Vayner Media. Uh, Sasha's not going to service trinkets and trash, meaning it's not like Vayner flushes the toilet and winds up in the Sasha group. Uh, a big client it. with a small budget is simply a cheap client. It's not a small business. You know, so we really set it straight. I'd like to run it as a consultancy on the front end, an agency on the back end. And to his credit, you know, he gave me um, he, he gave me a lot of creative liberty to do it differently. Uh, he stays very close to it, and it's you know, it's it's his vision that I'm, you know, executing with strategy. Uh, but uh, but truth be told, look, I mean, I moved it out of the building. It wasn't. It wasn't a, and that was another decision, right? I said, okay, great. I, I, I got to move it out of Hudson Yards. He's like, why? I want to I stay close to this. And I said, can't service small clients from a billion dollar building in Manhattan. I said, they're going to feel like they're getting ripped off coming up the elevator bank. So, uh, you know, we had some vacant space in Broadway. So uh, we, we had used that. Um, all those kind of things. And I, I think the biggest one was when I, when I told them and, uh, He's like, all right, so what do you need? And, you know, we were talking about, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the education. I'll take the consulting. Uh, I'm going to take these leaders and, and I want to take Chattanooga. And he's like, Chattanooga, why do you want the Chattanooga office? And I said, because I feel like every time we go down there, we're selling sunglasses in Seattle and we should be selling umbrellas. 
And he said, what do you mean? I said, no, you know, we're trying to sell big businesses, Ruby Tuesday, George Pacific. And I said, it's like a little Silicon Valley down there. There's a lot of small businesses that could be serviced down there. Mm. So he's like, all right, well, you know, you can take that too. Um, and we did. So so as a consultancy, it has a lot of senior leadership, you know, it has eight, uh, eight vice presidents or above, which, you know, for a company that size, that's only 55 people that have eight at that level is, is high. In fact, most did not think we were going to be able to make money with those kind of salaries and everything. Uh, but, um, but it runs differently than an agency. And that's why, that's why it's, uh, you know, it needs to be that way. As we look to wrap up this episode, thinking about everything that we spoke of, how do we tie it in a nice bow for the person listening? What is the core message you like to share and preach? The core message is play to your sweet spot. Don't don't be a second baseman playing center field. You know, we need we need every position on the field. Wow. Find out what your sweet spot is and just play to your sweet spot. Amazing, amazing. Uh, James, uh, since we have just a few more minutes, I want to first congratulate you on, on the Utz brands. Yeah, that was right? and, and a big how win for us. Yeah, that is huge. I mean, that is a beloved brand. You, you want to talk a little bit about how that all happened? And, and- yeah, again, uh, you know, so much to Gary's credit, uh, I wasn't originally uh, on the call and Gary suggested that, that uh, I be on the call. I came into VaynerMedia. A uh, hundred-year-old family-owned uh, business uh, that was about to go public um, hadn't really uh, done a lot uh, uh, in uh, mark- digital marketing as we knew it. You know, did a lot with sponsorship and in-store. So uh, even though they they are uh, a, a very big client, they were you know uh, uh, not as savvy on the digital front. And uh, Gary just felt that they'd be better better placed within the the, the Sasha Group always. Uh, and, um, we, um, we, we got a kindred spirit really, really fast. Uh, uh, and it was hard for people to believe that it was uh, 17 days from our first call with them to their text that we got the business. Wow. 17 days, pretty fast to move a billion dollar company. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Wonderful. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. It reminds me because I, I've heard him say several years ago how, you know, this strategy is playing out and it's funny to see it all really happen. Truly like talking about, you know, always the jets and acquiring that. And then, um, and then how he was going to strategically buy old brands that have, you know, that DNA of America and history like Cracker Jacks and then bring them to the modern age. And Utz fits that framework. Oh, that's why he loved that brand. You know, as soon as it came up, that was when you talk about nostalgic brands, that's what was coming to mind for him. And, uh, you know, people ask, how how is he going to get multiple billions to buy the jets? Is he going to sell the company? And I said, no, he's not going to sell the company. The the model is he wants to buy orphaned or abandoned brands. He wants to run them through the machine of VaynerMedia. He wants to increase their value. And then he wants to flip the brand. And that's how, you know, by doing that several times, he'll accumulate the wealth necessary to buy the jets. And isn't he really just doing that with his garage sale flipping? <laughs> Same thing, isn't it? Well, the guy's not afraid. I'm not afraid to make 10 bucks on a quick flip if he can do it, you know? So uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a passion of his. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been extraordinary, James. Thank you for uh, spending some time with us and just having this amazing dialogue. Where should we lead people who want to check out more of everything you do? 
well, the company is The Sasha Group. Website and social channels are all The Sasha Group. And uh, me personally, I am James Orsini on LinkedIn and Instagram and at Jimmy the Pencil on Twitter. <laughs> you heard it here, <laughs> at Jimmy the Pencil on Twitter. We love it. Thank you, James, for coming on. Okay, guys, thanks. Thanks for being part of our family. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's good to be. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.